This is episode 80 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and my guest tonight is making his debut on the podcast. He's the creator of StatHockey.com and a contributor to the HockeyWriters.com and NHLTradeRumors.me, Rob Couch. Rob, how's it going tonight? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for yes, having me. For sure. It's good to talk to you, man. I've been looking forward to having you on the show. And uh, were you up early to watch uh, Canada play in the World Juniors this morning? I actually was, yeah. No Oilers prospects in the entire tournament, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, it it makes the the World Juniors a little more fun to watch when there are a couple Oilers prospects that you can follow. I mean, uh, I don't know if anything will ever <laughs> top uh, when Jordan Everly was uh, yeah. leading the, the tournament and scoring in back-to-back years for Canada in 2009 and 2010. Uh, the second... Uh, year he played for Canada actually was here in Saskatoon so I had a chance to go watch him play one game live oh that's that's cool I think that was one of my first world juniors I really dove into yeah I mean it was a it was an exciting finish because uh just like the year before Eberly played the the late game hero scoring those two goals uh, in the final five minutes of the game uh, against USA uh, in the gold medal game to send the game to overtime. Um, I guess the year before it was the semifinal against Russia, which would be his uh, most memorable world junior goal. But uh, unfortunately, the the USA came away with the gold medal uh, there, and it was actually Jack Campbell who was in net for <laughs> for Canada for USA when they when they won gold in Saskatoon. That's fun. Yeah, but no, I mean, awesome to see him uh, light it up there and. You know, Connor McDavid would be another one in 2015. We he wasn't an Oilers draft pick or, or prospect yet, but uh, the Oilers were near the bottom of the league in 2014-15, and there was hope throughout Oil Country that the Oilers were going to land him, even if it was only a 11 and a half percent chance. But uh, I think a lot of people were watching that tournament a little closer than even normally they would, just because of the the potential of uh, getting McDavid. Yeah, and that generational talent. Yeah, uh, what a what a great tournament that was too. And um, I don't know, I like I like it when the tournament is in the evening. I mean, it's definitely easier to watch when it's held here in North America. But I don't know, there's something about waking up at 7 a.m. to watch the World Juniors that just feels like a Christmas tradition in Canada, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not bad. I was I was saying that today that I kind of wish it was maybe Canada gets in around 5 p.m. done writing for the day, just toss it on, could start to the evening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but while the World Juniors will be dominating the hockey headlines for the next couple of weeks, we are still going to be focusing on the Edmonton Oilers tonight. And Rob, since you're a first-time guest on the podcast, I'd like to start by just hearing a little about how you started following the team. So when did you first get interested in hockey and how did you become an Oilers fan living in Ontario? Uh, well, my dad played hockey growing up or whatever, so I was right in to hockey when I was young. Surprisingly enough, I didn't start till I was novice, about seven, so I think I missed all of Tyke, whatever, but... I yeah I jumped around positions. Um, he was a he's a Leafs fan. I'm uh, in Ontario, so I had to snap out of that. Once <laughs> I decided to really follow a team, could stay up watch the games. So I think it was the year before the lockout, and chose a team, chose the Oilers. I uh, Ryan Smith. So he 
I think he got me into it, into the Oilers. I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better player for our generation of uh, Oilers fans to, to be brought in for than Ryan Smith. He was uh, my childhood hero as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually had the, the opportunity to interview him about five years ago when uh, I was working for the TV station in Lloyd Minster and there was an event that he was at. And I mean, that still remains the, the best day of my broadcasting career to get to just not only meet my childhood idol, idol but talk to him um, on television. And yeah, just such an awesome guy. And for, like I said, for an entire generation of Oilers fans, he was the poster child. He was the guy that we all, you know, idolized. And, you know, for the younger generation now, it'd be Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. But yeah, that's a, that's a great way to get into it. So um, growing up in Ontario, and you said with your dad as a Leafs fan, you must be surrounded by Leafs fans too. Uh, do you actually know any other Oilers fans that either live around you or that you've met uh, playing hockey or anything like that? I no, I don't think so. A couple of my uh, Toronto fans aren't like that delusional about <laughs> the cup and stuff, but no, I uh, there's scattered teams, maybe maybe some bandwagons from like Pittsburgh, Chicago, something like that. But you're not you're not that close to Toronto, right? I think you're over, over an hour away. Yeah, no, I born in Toronto. But, oh, born in Toronto. Okay. Yeah, moved out of there. But yeah, no. Um, any anyone. It's usually usually Leafs fans around here. Yeah, which would make sense. And uh, like I was telling you before we started recording, I went to grad school in Toronto too, so I I know what it's like to be a uh, an Oilers fan surrounded in Leafs country. Although there was one other Oilers fan in my class, so that kind of helped a little bit. But um, yeah, just uh, so Ryan Smith, uh, the kind of dovetails into the next thing i was going to ask you is you know who were uh, some of your favorite oilers players when you were growing up other than ryan smith uh who would be two or one or two others that uh, you really enjoyed watching play so i got uh two from the oilers i i really liked horkoff okay um he was a yeah solid center i became a center i started defense wing then it became center so um i liked him and then started as kind of a stay-at-home defenseman but pronger i really like pronger well i mean if you were starting to follow the team right after the the lockout i mean uh it would be easy to gravitate to chris pronger who was probably one of the top two or three best defensemen in the league at the time and um that was huge for the oilers to get him and that stanley cup run in 2006 doesn't happen without chris pronger no, I love uh, watching the hitting, uh, hitting when I played, and then uh, the Scott Scott Niedermeyer was a was a good one with him. So seeing them together, I, I think it was after the Cup run. Yeah, when he signed or got traded. Yeah, to Anaheim. Was, yeah, yeah, those two together. Um, you know, <laughs> you would have it would have been great for the Oilers to end up winning the cup with Pronger in 06. He, he waited another year and ended up uh, getting there with the Ducks in 07. But yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Horkoff, that's an interesting one. You know, I always ask any first time person on uh, my show, you know, who their childhood heroes were. And I don't know if I've ever heard Horkoff's name uh, brought up, but uh, I mean, the guy was uh mr consistency out there for the oilers played 13 years for the team and if you you just look at everything that he brought night after night it wasn't the most talented guy on the ice but he was someone who you could count on to win face-offs he 
later in his Oilers career actually was hovering around a, a point per game for a couple seasons and yeah. uh, just, you know, had great chemistry with Alish Hemsky there in the, the mid to late 2000s. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good, solid pick. And he scored a big goal during the 2006 playoffs against uh, the Sharks as well. Mm-hmm. That that runs a little little hard for me to uh, run the remember. younger side. Yeah, yeah, yeah very uh, pretty young there, but these more recent ones are uh, a little more fresh. No, that makes sense. I was 17 during that run in 2006, so okay, uh, was... I mean, perfect age to to enjoy it, right? And um, yeah, I, I, you would have been what, I think like 10, nine, yeah. Something like that, yeah. So, like, the memories aren't going to be as fresh in mind, especially, I don't know if you were able to stay up for all those double and triple overtime games. I don't think so. (laughs) Would have been done at, like, 1 a.m. Ontario time, some of those. (laughs) Pretty tough in, like, grade four to stay up till uh, till that time to watch it. Um, And, uh, Rob, have you ever had the chance to watch the Oilers play live? And uh, if so, what do you remember about your first Oilers game? Uh... I've been to two games in like when they've come to Toronto, the fun once a year. That's wish, a tough wish, ticket to get to, isn't it? Yeah, I uh, I got one McDavid's rookie year. He happened to be injured, so that was that was fun. But from that game, yeah, I was, I was at least excited to see Hall, Aberly. I'm pretty sure Dresado was there. Um, but. Both times I've seen them play, they were shut out. So I don't know if I'm going to any more games. <laughs> I think, wasn't it that Garrett Sparks game? Yeah, where you Garrett hit, oh, Sparks was the first one. Jeez, I still remember that one. And the Oilers, I, I remember the Oilers had a two-minute five-on-three. The Leafs took two penalties on one play, and I thought, okay, this is where they're finally going to get one. I think just, I was right behind the, the net, too, for that whole thing. And yeah. it just... Nothing. Didn't squeeze one through. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's a tough break. And I mean, getting tickets to any uh, game in, in Toronto is tough to get. But when the Oilers come to town and there's the extra allure of McDavid playing, I'm sure uh, it'd be a hard one to get. But uh, would you do you hope to come out to Edmonton eventually and watch the Oilers play at Rogers Place? Is it sort of like a bucket list item for you? I, I think so. Eventually. Yeah. Um, maybe not right now but it would definitely be a cool a playoff one to be yeah really cool i finally saw my first playoff game uh in 2022 against the kings and um it was it was an awesome experience i mean it's always a a great time going to rogers plays i i can tell you it's one of the the best buildings you'll ever be in it's state-of-the-art i mean it, it is seven years old now but the building still is in fantastic condition and uh just i don't know after going to Rexall Place for so many years, which I also, you know, enjoyed, and there's lots of history in that building, but uh, they, they needed a new arena in Edmonton, and the new one they have is fabulous. So uh, I, I hope you're able to come out sometime when they have like a three-game homestand or something and, and see all, all of those games. That's what uh, one of my buddies from Australia did. He was a big Oilers fan, and first time he came to Canada, uh, he wanted to make sure that they had a homestand so he could see more than than just one game. So I, I hope that you're able to experience that or maybe, like you said, catch your first uh, Oilers game where they actually score one uh, yeah. in Toronto as well, too. <laughs> the funny uh, thing is McDavid dominated that sec- the first time I saw him, the second game, and it was, I think it was one nothing. So <laughs> it was one nothing Toronto. Matthews probably scored. It was yeah. kind of ridiculous. 
Now, I remember the game uh, a year ago in Toronto. Uh, McDavid had three points in that game. Yeah, and, <laughs> I the wrong game. <laughs> and they were, the Oilers had, I think, a, I want to say a 3-1 lead. And then it just evaporated. The Leafs scored like three quick goals to take a 4-3 lead. And it just, they, they didn't catch up from there. But thankfully, when uh, the Leafs came to Edmonton, um, I think the next month the Oilers paid them back and beat them pretty handily, five to two. So yes, nice to get one like back that. on them. That was um, the uh, it was a great game, and McDavid scored two goals in in that one as well. Yeah, the one where he walked Riley, that would have yeah. been a really really fun one to see. I that think was that happened right in before Toronto. the pandemic. It did. It was right before the pandemic, I, I, January 2020, um, and it oh. just yeah, like <laughs> the fact that he looked back. <laughs> as, as if he was waiting for Nugent Hopkins to get up in the play, even though I, I know he had no intention of ever passing. That was all to fake out the defense. And then, like you said, he just walked right around Riley and elevated it over the goalie's glove. I, I think it was Hutchinson in net for that one. But, uh, yeah, that would probably be on his top 10 uh, goals list for sure. For sure, yeah. And it's crazy to think that, like, for most players, that would be the highlight goal of their career. Yeah, but he and, does one every month. <laughs> yeah. For McDavid, that wouldn't even be in his top five. No. They always show his uh his first goal back from Columbus. injury on the Columbus. Yeah, that's a for a long time I thought that was his best goal. Um I it's think a that, little puck luck though. A little bit stumbled, but, yeah. But still for a nineteen year old to go through three opponents and then the goalie, yeah. it's just unbelievable. I think that now the Rangers goal in 2021 yeah. uh, is now the the best goal. He also scored another amazing one similar to that a week later against the Jets that kind of gets forgotten just because they were so close together. But, I think, um, yeah, I don't know if I remember that. I remember a, a one-on, yeah, I think he just blew by Petrangelo. And yes, yeah. Yeah, on the right against, side, yeah, on his backhand. I don't know if he went. That was top, in the playoffs, right yeah. Or something. Um, what was it? I think it was against Vegas in the playoffs. Yeah, it was. Um, but I mean, when his career is done, uh, and they're and they're showing his highlight reel um, montage at the Hockey Hall of Fame before he's inducted, he is going to have the most incredible highlight reel of any player in NHL history. Someone's gonna have a lot of work. <laughs> I, I I hope. Uh, I'd love to just be in the room with the video editor who's cutting that together just to see what what got left on the cutting room floor because they only had five minutes to get McDavid highlights in and he gave them like an hour of quality footage. Um, but yeah, uh, so what is your best memory of watching the Oilers either on TV or live in person? But I guess since you said uh, you haven't seen them even score a goal in Go person yet, uh, your best memories are going to come on TV. So maybe just like what are one or two, if someone said your favorite Oilers memories ever watching the team, what, what, what sticks out to you? Funny enough, it's nothing from the 2006 run. Cause I was a bit young, but yeah. that first, uh, was it 2016, 17 back? There's a bunch of things from there. Um, the game where they finally broke the drought, and qualified for the playoffs yeah, after 10 years Kings, that think. was yeah that was a big one that that cassian game in the playoffs against the sharks mm-hmm. was just fires me up every time i i see those clips come back up in the playoffs or uh the 
McDavid goal against the Flames to put him out um, two years ago. Yeah. yeah, that was... The Cassian one, it sticks out to a lot of people. And for a city that's been blessed with such incredible talent over the, the years, like Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and a list of other Hall of Famers, it's sometimes these gritty glue guys that have a lasting impact on the fan base. And, and Zach Cassian would be a perfect example of that. He was a guy who wasn't the most talented player in the world, but uh, a, he would grind it out. He was tough. He would fight. He could chip in the odd goal. And I know it didn't end so well because of the contract, but if you think about what he brought during that 2017 run specifically, and even after that a little bit when he was playing on McDavid's wing, here we are six and a half years later, and we're still talking about, you know, that one series that Cassian had in 2017. So it, it shows you uh, what an impact that made. And he was probably one of Edmonton's, I would say, five most important players in that series, right up there with, yeah, for sure. Know, I mean, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Cam Talbot, and then, you know, debatable who Cassian might be fourth thereafter. He ran over a couple people just Logan in Couture, Edmonton. I think he crushed. Yeah, yeah, it was Logan on the second one. And then uh, it was a defender coming around the net um, on the other one. Not sure who it was. It wasn't was Burns also, or Vlasic or anything. But No, but there was also a one nothing game in San Jose where he had the only goal. And oh, shorthanded? Yeah, and sometimes yeah, that gets that was, forgotten. But That was the same uh, game, I think, wasn't it? No, not? but it, that, the shorthanded breakaway was the same game in Edmonton, but there was yeah. another game in San Jose where he scored. Uh, and it just, yeah, he was all over that series. So, you know, a huge part of, of that. So it's, it's cool that that one still sticks out for you. And you were saying, sorry, a couple other ones from 2017, uh, or, um, you said the clinching. And then of course, McDavid, uh, his overtime winner to eliminate the flames in yeah, uh, 22. Yeah. I mean, for an entire generation of Oilers fans, that is going to be a memory that we'll be talking about for 20 years because it had been, over three decades since the Oilers and Flames had even met in the playoffs. Yeah, wasn't so this it was 1990 or 91. 91. And here we are 31 years later playing again. So the first time in your lifetime that you would have seen it. Mm-hmm. And for and for me, I was two years old the last time they had played. I'm now in my 30s. So that gives you, you know, an idea of how long it had been. And for the Oilers to come out and not just win the series, but win it so definitively after losing that first game on the road to win four straight for the gentleman's sweep. Just you, you couldn't have asked for a better finish than the, the best player in the world in overtime in your biggest rivals building to knock them out of the playoffs. Yeah. Just to uh, have them move on against the flames in second round, get further yeah. than uh, I, yeah, I've, I saw them in, 10 plus years so when you're watching Oilers game since there aren't any other Oilers fans around to watch with are do you typically watch them alone or do you even watch with other Leafs fans or, or what's your sort of game day ritual no I just shut everything off around me yeah alone lock in on the game no no disruptions from no. Leafs fans <laughs> texting you chirps or anything like that. oh no the, uh the 2020 season wasn't great with that i think leafs got them six times yeah and then yeah 
the season series that year. So. But then, then, then they lost three straight to the worst <laughs> record playoff team to ever make the playoffs. So that yeah. was, I, that I don't was know, great. that one or being swept with three overtimes. There was, I was I like, we were, we were both losers here. Yeah. But the Oilers have still had more playoff success oh, yeah. um, in the McDavid Matthews era, if you want to call it that. So, I mean, you still got some uh, of the bragging rights there. Uh, but yeah, is, would you say that is the most um, excited you've ever been after an Oilers goal when when Connor put that one in in the Saddle Dome? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's yeah, because I was. I'm still. Uh, I still think about that Anaheim series in 2017. Yeah, it just they should have should have moved on multiple times there. So this was the first time getting to the the conference finals in a yeah. long time that I was really excited for. You know, in our uh, heavy hockey network group chat, we were just talking about that the other day when the Oilers had a their their lead on the Rangers and the Rangers were starting to come back. That uh, you know, the, one of the guys in the group said, I, "I don't feel safe in any lead until it's <laughs> over now because of that Anaheim series." And I just thought, you know, that one is one that still haunts a lot of Oilers fans. And and realistically, like. Yes, they should have been able to hold that three-goal lead late in the third period. But at the same time, the most obvious goalie interference call yeah, probably the in the salary Yeah, <laughs> literally having his legs pulled apart by Ryan Kessler and let, letting the puck slide through. Just to this day, it baffles me how that one didn't get called. But you see a goalie interference call where a player's skate accidentally even bumps against a goalie skate and it's called back. But... Yeah, five seconds later, goalie yeah. can reset. But yeah, that one where he's grabbing Literally having his legs pried apart. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. And, and if that doesn't happen and the Oilers hold on to win that game, and then they go back to Edmonton, which they won the next game 7-1, to one, yeah, they're off to the Western Conference Final against Nashville. And who knows what would have happened in that series. Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe Nashville still would have won, but we'd be talking about a second Western Conference Final appearance for McDavid. And I mean, can you imagine if they would have got by them? We would have had a Connor McDavid versus Sidney Crosby Stanley Cup final. Yeah, they robbed us there. Yeah, they, that would uh, early on too. The marketing opportunities for the NHL to promote uh, McDavid versus his idol. You know, the 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 past generational pa- players passing versus, of the torch, even exactly. If they were to win, yeah. Yeah, it it would have been a huge opportunity because you don't get a lot of chances to do that like Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux never played each other in a Stanley Cup final so they could have had this once in a generation type opportunity to have that and yeah it's a it's a shame that a a missed call uh, or I I often call them ignored calls (laughs) denied us of that but no man I'm an avid um, refs need a little (laughs) more uh, help from the video and um, stuff like that on uh, on Twitter and stuff and I don't really like their calls in no. any any game. Obviously, I no, watch, pay attention to the Oilers the most, but then I, right. I'm watching all these other games, and there's so much calls around the league. And I know they say it's a tough job, but with two officials out there and also two linesmen, you'd, you'd like to think that they're going to get it off and more more often than not. And, and despite the fact that we see there's makeup calls too, like, oh, you know, they, they gave makeup a, calls. Yeah. Game management. You don't want one team to have. I would I would rather the officials call everything, whether it's 
you know, on the Oilers or not, because I'm confident that with the skill that the Oilers have, that they they would get more power plays than their opponent would. There'd be like so, eight power plays a game on McDavid alone. Yes. Yeah. The Oilers would be constantly on the power play because here's the thing: we the Oilers have a an intelligent fan base. We know the game, and I mean, we are seeing it from a bit of a bird's eye view, watching it on TV as opposed to you know right up there in the action. But we can see all the hooks, the holds, you know, the interference. And it just, it's, it sometimes is, is just such a shame that they, the refs, you know, don't reward the the best player in the world when he's being, you know, mucked by like, these, you know, third and fourth liners who are just trying to shut him down. And it's like, they're, they're rewarding the lesser skilled players. And I think that that's something that the NHL could do a better job of. And it's something that the NFL and NBA um, do better of where the star players do yeah. get those calls protect their stars absolutely yeah well man i appreciate you breaking all that down for us and hearing a little bit about uh your history as an oilers fan and as i mentioned off the top of the show you write for a few different sites including your own so uh, when did you start stathockey.com and do you focus mostly on the oilers or is it the entire nhl uh i started summer of last year i made sure to get it going before the season and so I could I, I kicked things off with just a this type of team preview line projection things that I do for uh every team but I think it was July August and it was I think a little a little easier at the start it's uh it's tough to write for multiple and then keep up with mine as well but uh working along with it yeah anytime you're right there was a time when i was writing for uh two different oilers sites so it it can be uh challenging to make sure you're producing content for for all the different places you're you're working when uh and you've even got a third one and so that could be even more I, challenging yeah yeah uh, also i do some fantasy fantasy writing too okay. big in um playing fantasy hockey so uh right. Do, do a little bit of writing. Take my How's own advice. How's your team doing this year? Uh, first. Oh. So far. <laughs> well, you got the bragging rights there for sure. Do you have any Oilers players on your team? Uh, no, I tried to. I, I drafted Ekholm, but he didn't. Okay. It was uh, kind of lost him early. I took <laughs> Jack Campbell and another one in like the last pick. Mm. Uh, I picked up Stuart Skinner, though, in that, that one. So I kind of swapped it out. People gave up on Skinner, picked him up before that eight-game win streak. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have some fantasy uh, experts here at uh, the Heavy Hockey Network, too, at Fantasy Hockey Hacks, and uh, they're, they're Saskatoon guys like me, so I'll give them a shout-out as well. And um, I had them back on the po- on the podcast back in August, and they have some great insights. So, yeah, I'm sure it's uh, interesting for the, the the fantasy hockey guys. I, I've only played it a couple times in my life. I I don't find that I, I have the time to always set the lineups or remember to be checking all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I'm pretty dialed in on the Oilers as it is. And so that's sort of my my main focus. But best oh, yeah, of luck when, with what's that? Oh, sorry. Um, when you uh, when it's for money, you uh, pay attention a little. Yeah, that little definitely <laughs> that definitely gives you some uh, added incentive for sure. Um, and are there any other contributors to stathockey.com or, or are you hoping to expand the number of writers for the site going forward? Um, no, there's, I was, I was just looking to, uh, start expanding cause yeah, it's a lot of, uh, work for me. There's, 
have a goal to try to get at least one out per day, but if it can get more or if that can I can keep that goal with me not having to write every every single day, that mm-hmm. definitely helps. And um I think back to your previous question of it's not exclusively Oilers yeah. on the site, yeah, because you were saying um, line combinations for different teams and yeah, yeah, every every uh every team whatever can come up with. I like I like doing the maybe free agent destinations, trade destinations. I'm always crafting those things up. What's logical? Maybe some prospect stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome, man. And like I've read your your work at the hockeywriters.com before and I think you provide good in, insight. So uh, I'll definitely have to check out your work at uh, the other sites as well. So yeah, best of luck with that going forward. Thank you. All right, let's dive into the current state of the team now. And the Oilers went into the Christmas break with a pair of come-from-behind road wins over the New Jersey Devils and the New York Rangers. It marked the first time the Oilers have had two third-period comeback victories on back-to-back days since 1991. Edmonton has also gone 13-6-0 in their last 19 games, including a league-best eight-game winning streak to get back to 500. Rob, there's still 51 games to play this season, but how crucial was it for the Oilers to grab those four points on the road before the break? Uh, I think it was huge. Um, I've had confidence in them all season, even from the start. It was a two nine and two nine and one, two nine and two. And it's like there's so many games left. Their their numbers are there. They're an elite team, even though they're not showing it. They have some of the best players in the world. And yeah, those third period comebacks showed they could score in the third period, which is great because they're not giving up the first goal in the first minute. I know you remember that trend. Yeah, they're actually been really good in the first period this year. too. I think it has been their best period. Uh, The third period of late has been better. But overall, I I believe they're first or second in the league in first period goals. Yeah, that's a that's really nice to see. But um, yeah, having be able to come back in games remind me of last year. I think they, they did, or over the last couple of years, they did that a lot because they had to, to get wins. I think it was two years ago where they came one game short of the NHL record for most consecutive uh, wins when trailing. So yeah, was the think, Koskin and Smith uh, yeah. combo of the first, first couple minutes. And they something lock it down. like 23 or 24 straight games where they were scored on first and came back to win. So <laughs> it just it just shows, you know, it was like the 1945 Montreal Canadiens did. Oh, <laughs> were, no, no, it was the opposite. It was um, th- when they scored first, they didn't lose. And yeah, it was it was like one one short of Montreal. Yeah, that that could I I, I thought it was. Uh, when trailing, but I, I'd have to double check that. You could oh, be right. Yeah, when trailing would have been ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you look at where they were in the standings. Like like you said, this is a team that on paper should be a lot better than their record is. Uh, I think it's fair to say you don't want to hinge it all on one thing. But if the Oilers did have even league average goaltending, they're probably a top three team in the Pacific as it stands, as opposed to fighting for a wild card spot. But, uh, I mean, you look at the Connor McDavid injury, you know, there is a lot more talent than just McDavid on this team, but obviously taking the best player in the world out for any length of time or having him playing at 50% health, that's going to have an impact. And 
Uh, the Oilers have been trying to rebound from that and dig themselves out of this hole. And remarkably, they they have, like we said, going on that eight-game heater. And uh, even after the three-game skid that they went on, they were able to bounce back with these last two. But there there still is work to do. They've, they haven't completely got themselves back into the playoff picture yet. But I think that you can see that they, they have, what is it, five players. I think they're the only team in the league with five players who are over 30 points. Uh, the the top players yeah. are still producing. They'd like to see a little more production probably from the bottom six. Uh, you know, the defense has looked a lot better since the coaching change. Uh, I think they're making more plays, moving the puck up the ice. They've been more solid in the defensive zone. The penalty kill has been significantly better. The power plays back to basically where it should be, even if it is a few percentage down from last year. Um, overall, it's pretty uh, it's pretty solid. I, I put out a tweet the other day where they rank um, under uh, Chris Knobloch since he took over in mid-November. I'll see if I can quickly pull that up here. Uh, okay, so since November 11th, this is actually the game even before Knobloch took over. This is when the winning uh, when, when they turned it around with a win in Seattle. So since yeah. November 11th, the Oilers are fifth in the league in points percentage. They're first in the league in goals for per game. They're 11th in the league in goals against per game, fourth in the league on the power play, and eighth on the, in the league on the penalty kill. So, I mean, that's where they should be, uh, the top offensive team in the league. Last year they were by some margin, and now they're sort of getting back to that, and McDavid's health obviously uh, plays a big part in that. Being 11th in the league in goals against, I don't know if they're going to stay hovering around the top 10 for the rest of the season. But even if this team can be middle of the pack defensively, I think that they're going to be well set up because they have such offense that they can score four goals a game, but they just can't be allowing five. So that's yeah, that where offense it, is back. So yeah, you just um, need the defense to, if, if your goaltenders can hold the other team to under three, I feel like the Oilers are going to win nine out of 10 times. And even if the goaltender allows three they still are probably going to have a good shot to score four most nights so uh i i would say that this team is starting to turn the corner and i mean we're not talking about that small of a sample size 13 6 and oh that's almost a quarter of the season 19 games there so as long as they can even play close to that number even if it's a, a few wins down from that for the rest of the season then they're going to be fine to get in and their second half percentage over the last four years is yeah. all over 600, 650. They're, they're a they second half up. team for yeah. sure. This is a team. And also there's a, a website. You, you can check the state, uh, the strength of schedule, but there's I, a, I did see that. Yeah. I was, I saw a tweet about that and it's, it's nice. Yeah. There's a, a site that I, I check called uh, power rankings guru. And they do this for all the different, um, sports uh, in North America, and you can see how really? tough your schedule is. Yeah, so um, so far the Oilers have had the fourth hardest schedule in the NHL. Their, yeah. a- their average opponent has been 14th place in the league. And so we're talking about the fourth hardest. So one of the toughest schedules any team has played, and they're still 500 at 15, 15, and 1. But for, in the final 51 games, Edmonton will have the second easiest schedule at 17th percent of average opponent. So they're, the average opponent they're going to play over the next 50 plus games is going to be uh, in the bottom half, on average, uh, a bottom half team. 
Yeah, so, I looked over the next six games, and they play the four bottom teams. They play Anaheim, San Jose, Ottawa, Chicago. It's like this is a this is a nice five out of six. Now there is a couple tough ones, and they're like L.A. is is yeah, LA. right near the top. That's a tough one. But if you if you win that game, you're you're really looking good. And the Flyers, I think they've overachieved a little bit this year. I I don't think that team is that good. But yeah, they play them. They play them hard. It's uh. I give Oilers a little advantage, but yeah. I think they can at least snag a point as long as they don't just put up zero in games they should win. But realistically, I think they only play 15, 15 games against top 10 teams in the final 50 games. So there is a big opportunity to make up ground in the standing here. And I think another uh key is that they have a lot of games against a uh, divisional opponents still to play and, and even Western conference opponents. So um, the next thing I'll just ask you is like the Oilers are sitting five points out of a wild card spot with two or three games in hand on the teams they're chasing. What do you think their chances are of making the playoffs for the fifth straight season? Uh, so I, I look at the teams in front of them and you got Nashville has been on a heater held in by Soros. I'm not sure they're they're overachieving right now for sure. They they rattled off a, a good number of wins in the past 15 games. A lot to do with Soros. I don't know if the offense can necessarily keep up. Uh, I saw them break down two goals in 13 seconds against Dallas. I was uh yeah, that was, that was a, a that was a nice loss. one. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that before, where a team let in two goals in the final 15 seconds in regulation. I don't think so uh, either. Yeah, to go from losing to or go from winning, from to, winning losing. to not even getting it to OT for that extra yeah. point. That's and I mean for Oilers fans, that was huge for Dallas to come back and beat them because now, like we said, Edmonton's just you know five points back in the standings. And I don't know if you look at this, like we we just talked about this a little bit, but looking at January for them. I mean, even if they get through this final week of December, you got San Jose and Anaheim. Let's say those two are wins, and we'll even say the one against LA is a loss. So they come out of December, we'll say, one game over 500. When I look at their schedule here, Philadelphia and Ottawa, I'd like to think those are both wins. Yeah, you could. Chicago, sure. another win. So that's 3-0 and in January. Let's just say they lose to the Red Wings because they, they usually go 1-1 one and one against them. So now you're three and one. Montreal hopefully beat them. So now I would like to one. say about the Red Wings, they're like two seven and one since Kane. But I know it's not Kane's but, fault. Yeah, but I don't know. There's just something they, the Oilers they're always downhill. seem to drop one against the Red Wings. Yeah, they overachieved at the start for sure. So I think we're catching them at a decent time. Yeah, that could be good. And then the rest of the month: Toronto, Seattle, Calgary. Uh, maybe win two out of those three. Columbus. Uh, Chicago, Nashville, those are three you'd like to win all of those. So, I mean, realistically, in the 11 games in January, there's the potential for an 8-3 and three run, maybe 9-2 and two if you're really lucky. But I'll, I'll go a little bit on the, the, the cautious side there and just say 8-3. and three. So, I mean... Yeah, that's, that's in a... I think that's in a second wild card, at least. Well, you come out of that month, and now you're six games over 500 with just about half the season to go like the Oilers have a really stacked schedule from February on because uh, they only played their first back-to-back games last week and they were 
behind a lot of teams in games played just because, you know, they had the five-day break earlier in the month when McDavid got into Canada's Walk of Fame. Then they're having this five-day Christmas break. There's also a a nine-day break at the end of uh, January going into February. But from February 6th till about April 15th, they play every other day, basically. So it's going to be a hectic schedule. It's something like... They need a goalie by then. Yeah. (laughs) I think. Yeah, like I, I'm looking at this right now. It is in February. I think it's 14 games. Uh, March, 15 or 16 games. It looks like, and then even though April the season only goes till April 18th, they still play uh, 10 games like there. So I mean, it, it is going to be a a full you know ride right to the end and. You just hope they have some gas left in the tank once the the playoffs start. But it it is going to be a, a busy schedule, and it should be fun for Oilers fans having you know games to watch every other night yeah. for the final two months of the season. Yeah, I was gonna say great for viewers. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about the goaltending situation now, since you just kind of mentioned it. It's arguably been the Oilers' biggest issue this season. We saw Jack Campbell get put on waivers and later sent to the Bakersfield Condors in the AHL. Stuart Skinner has also struggled early on, but, you know, he's been better as of late. Uh, Rob, what is your confidence level in Skinner right now? I am pretty confident in him. Um, I think that early jitters or whatever you want to call it, um, every goalie goes through it. It's just at a bad time because Campbell couldn't help at all either, and they couldn't score, and their defense just had lapses. So everything... Everything kind of went wrong and it didn't really help him, but I'm I like him as a one A, even a starter. I know like someone if they had someone like Casey DeSmith, I know he's not moving, but someone someone like him who can go thirty thirty games in a season, even thirty five, that would be uh that'd be nice to have. And I think we should also mention that Skinner is ahead of schedule. I mean the plan was for Jack Campbell to be the starter for three and a half to four years with Skinner playing, you know, 30 odd games and then eventually take over the starters role in year four or year five of that contract. But it's sort of half the plan. That was the plan in the summer of 2022, because you couldn't go into the season with a raw rookie expecting him to be the starting goaltender for your team in a, a year that you're trying to win the cup. However, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Jack Campbell lost the the starters net to Stuart Skinner pretty much within a month of yeah. his Oilers career starting. So from that point on, Skinner has been the, uh, the default number one goalie. And I mean, it turned into a pretty impressive first year for him. He was the runner-up for the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. And, you know, Jack Campbell did have that one strong run in the middle of January where he kind of got back on track before falling back down again. But uh, I just look at Skinner, and I think he he is ahead of schedule, which is a good sign. But I don't know if he's ready to be a 55-game goalie at 24 years old. I, I do think that they need to insulate him a little better and have another goalie who they can count on to maybe even split the games or if it's not a exact split, it could be like a, we see Skinner play 45 games instead of yeah, having I would love a split for yeah. sure because but, he's uh yeah, I don't, I don't know about the, I, if that was the plan of like three and a half, four years, I definitely would have thought he would be 
ready earlier, but he's being way overworked. I, I think. think Bob Stoffer has mentioned that on his show that that was sort of, and he often will give a little peek behind the curtains of what the, the Oilers organization is thinking. Um, and that sort of was, I think what he alluded to that, uh, they they sort of expected a 50 to 30 game split between Skinner and Campbell for at least three years. And uh, I mean, unfortunately, Jack Campbell didn't even make it two full years in Edmonton and, and never came close to playing 50 games. But uh, Stuart Skinner, if there's a bright side to it, you've got him at two point six million for this year and the next two years. But you do need another goaltender. And, and that's kind of where I want to go with you next, because like I, I look at Skinner. I like him. You, if you look at how he's played over this this most recent stretch, uh, he's what would he be? I think he's eleven and four in his last fifteen games, and has like a nine oh three save percentage. So he's really turned it around after a rough start. But at the same time, can he keep this up for the full season and then into the playoffs? Because we saw how important he was just getting the Oilers to the playoffs last year. But he kind of faltered. There was four different times in the playoffs where he was pulled uh, in favor of of Jack Campbell. And and I will give Campbell credit. When when he did come in in a relief appearance, he was fairly solid in the playoffs last year. You could even argue that he might have or he probably should have started one or two of those uh, next games. Yeah, I Um, think so. But um, I think the Oilers do need another goalie to reduce Skinner's workload if they have any hope of going on a deep playoff run. So I just want to ask you, are, are there any goalies around the league that you think the Oilers could realistically acquire before the trade deadline? Number one with the split, I think would be perfect. Uh, Blackwood from yeah. San Jose. Because and we've already they, seen yeah, him goalie they, they the Oilers once. Contract. This. Yeah, they can take contracts. Maybe Oilers can pick something else off their roster. They haven't really got great returns on their star players i know blackwood isn't really a star player but he was a very highly thought of young goalie a few years ago though mm-hmm. like he was got well injured thought, yeah but in new jersey i think he was being touted as their goalie of the future and um i don't know if the oilers were able to get blackwood i think that'd be huge could you even see a scenario where um blackwood ends up playing a little more than half the split with skinner yeah i think so just how good he's been on San Jose I think he has better numbers than Skinner on the Sharks even even at the start of the year I think he was was he at like nine nine hundred save percentage when they were 0 and 11 or something (laughs) and allow you know just allowing so much every night but uh I I don't know I think that if Black like not that the Oilers are an elite defensive team or anything but he'd certainly have a better team playing in front of him in Edmonton than he would in San Jose yeah, less shots for sure. Oilers have been just dominating the shots, so he just kind of get bored sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, I saves. and I will give a stick tap to uh, Calvin Pickard as well. I mean, yeah, I know his save percentage did dip under 900 with his most recent uh, uh, loss, but uh, the guy has looked relatively competent when he's got in there, and you know he's made the saves he's needed to make. Not nothing flashy or anything, but just a guy that you can sort of count on as a third NHL goalie, a third string NHL goalie. So I like that guy as a depth option in the organization, but you probably don't want to go into the playoffs with him as your backup. You'd like to have that position solidified a little more. 
Um, is there anyone else other than Blackwood, or, or would you say that he right now is the the number one target for the Oilers? I think he is number one, but I wouldn't mind something. Merzlikens, Gibson, maybe retain bit money or take Campbell back. Like they got they got term left. They could be the be what Campbell should have been. Have the have that term to give Skinner a bit more time. I think I would have been a fan of bringing in Gibson four or five years ago. I'm not sure that I would do that today. And I'm not sure Anaheim would also trade him in division uh, as well. But yeah, I don't know just where they are. I don't like they're, they're right at the bottom. Not, I've, I've I mean, been really high 30. on him. I think he's still. Yeah, elite. he's not. He's not young, but he's not old either for a goalie at 30. So yeah. the, thing, the thing is, you have to think is, first of all, does he want to come to Canada? He is an American goalie, and I believe he has a no trade clause. So would he waive to come to a Canadian team, even if it is a one of the better ones? That's a question that would have to be asked. If they I, are going to bring in a goal, like they'd have to retain. Anaheim would have to keep some money because I think he's a $6 yeah. million dollar goalie. I think he's 6'4". Six, six so... Yeah. Ideally, you'd probably like the Merzlikens when we've heard that one for a while, but there mm-hmm. seems to be mixed reviews on him, too. Some people are really in favor of that idea. Other Oilers fans are not sold on him at all. Uh, I, I do think Mackenzie Blackwood is the best option, but yeah. if the if the Oilers were to do that, um, Jack Campbell would pretty much have to go the other way, wouldn't he? 100%, yeah. And I would be completely fine with whatever picks they want to just throw to get that contract off get blackwood i think he has another year yeah because you have to add a sweetener in right and and san jose is trying to rebuild anyway they're they're trying to bottom out so they what do they care if they have jack campbell on the books for the next three years they're they're not going to be competing in those three years anyway they, they might even right? start them <laughs> they might even start them. so like uh put your gm hat on for a second if you can what what does a, a mckenzie blackwood trade to edmonton look like realistically i think with their time to rebuild i don't think they are gonna push really hard for a top prospect so maybe borgo and broberg are safe but i i don't know i would at least 100% a first rounder. I'm I'm thinking on a second second first rounder to get Campbell out and bring Blackwood in with You're that thinking extra two year. first rounders? Uh it's I couldn't do it. I mean, I I know the Oilers have maybe to Maybe a second. In, but the I, thing is for me, they need to have that first rounder in the bank to trade each year, and I think yeah. that I think using two of them is too much. I like, don't get me wrong. I would love to see what Borgo is eventually going to do at the NHL level. I think that the kid does have the ability to snipe, and they need some wingers who can put the puck in the net. But to trade two first-round picks to get out of Campbell... Yeah, that's a lot, that's, man. That's a maybe lot. For, maybe yeah. Soros, if, if for that's Soros, something. Yes. Yeah. But they're not going to... I don't think they're going to get him, even though he's... I think he's my favorite goalie. Yeah, I mean, I... It'd be great if they could, but Nashville is even ahead of the Oilers in the standings right now. So I doubt that they're looking to downgrade their playoff chances. So that's that's a one that probably is out, even though, you know, Oilers fans would love it. Um, Two favorites would have been Soros or Hart, but I don't think either are going to happen this year. Right. And Hart is an Edmonton kid, too. So there's that 
there's that connection as well. I have um, one sleeper though. Okay. Um, for you, it's uh, Montembeau, even after the contract mm. extension. I don't yeah. know. I've uh, I thought that was a that was a nice little deal, term and money. Edmonton could afford it, but then that was a that was a little while ago, and uh, they've kind of been on a run. But I still don't think they're making the playoffs. I think I think they'll fall off a bit. But it's a tough division. The Montreal's in very, too. Very, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you know it. It's close to home there, where you know <laughs> those teams are, and. It, it seems pretty locked up that the top four teams in whatever order you want to put them are going to be Boston, Florida, uh, Boston, Toronto, and the two teams in Florida. Mm-hmm. So hard for a team like Ottawa to, to ever get in or, um, you know, Montreal. yeah, like, like everyone thought that it was going to be Buffalo's. Year. Yeah. I mean, they thought it was going to be the Sabres year, this young, talented team to sort of, you know, get into the mix or uh, maybe, young exciting team i guess i should put because i mean they they do have some top end talent but i I think they're still missing a lot of pieces and and same for ottawa like i like their top six when you look at it but uh just to knock out one of those top four teams it's going to be pretty tough yeah ottawa should on paper be better than buffalo i think but they're right at the bottom like they got the veterans mixed in there they got the more established goalie um even more established defensemen and stuff and yeah Yeah. it's just the younger team and that's why i say with the the oilers opening up 2024 with games at home against the the flyers and the senators when you're desperate for points and trying to get back into the playoff picture those are two games you need to make sure you win um and i i fully expect that they're going to get one back on the flyers for losing that one on the road earlier this year and uh, let's hope that they can bring the same effort against Ottawa because uh, you remember the one year they during, dominate in the, in the Canadian division. Yeah. <laughs> they they were they won all nine games all uh, nine against the, the Senators, and then the following year thirty points or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then the following year they lost both games to Ottawa. So they and yeah. then I, I think last year they split. I think, but um, so yeah, it's it can it can be tough, but. Let's hope that uh, the Oilers have uh, figured everything out now, and uh, that's a, a game that they can, you know, get back to to dominating. But uh, no, I I think that the Blackwood deal is probably a, a good one. It, it's definitely one that's been talked about in oil country, and if the Oilers were able to pull that off, it would kind of fix one of their biggest issues, as we talked about, and just. Like we said, they don't need to have a Shesterkin. They don't need to have a Vasilevsky as much as we'd like to. But if the Oilers can even get just average goaltending, competent, reliable, steady goaltending, they have enough firepower that they can overcome that and they can win games four to two, five to two, five to three. So I think that is an issue. If before Ken Holland addresses anything else at the deadline, looking for another defenseman or or possibly a, a center uh, lower in the lineup, that should be, a, the goaltender should be a priority number one. Yeah, I would even put defense third now. Coffee likes them. Yep, and you know what? Coffee has had a big impact. He's, he's getting them to make plays that they weren't, uh, that some of them weren't as confident making before. I've seen uh, Vinny Dayarnay pass the puck better than yeah. uh, he ever has. Darnell Nurse, who is much uh, more known for skating the puck up the ice, is now uh, uh, making more confident headband passes as well. So that's been uh, encouraging to see. And then uh, Cece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and maybe he's a piece that gets moved out at the deadline as well. We yeah. Don't know. 
Right. Um, Ryan McLeod was one of the team's most underperforming players through the first quarter of the season with just four assists in his first 21 games. However, he now has five goals in his last 10 games, including three in the two wins last week. And it looks like the move to the wing has helped unlock his offense. Do you think McLeod should be a full-time winger going forward, or do you think he can still grow into that third-line center role? I think 100% the wing, um, whether that's second or third line. Like, I, I recently wrote about this exact thing that um, I know it's really short uh, time he's, he's been together with Drisaitl, but I he doesn't have to lead a line. And I think there's a bit more responsibility that comes with that. And he can use that speed on the wing and uh, be set up even with even with the better player there in uh, Drisaitl. And Ryan's Ryan can stick it out for now, but I think they do maybe need one. But I'd give Holloway a chance when he returns. I wouldn't. He's got a, I think, a little bigger body. Um, maybe he'd work out as the third line center for now. But I think, yeah, McLeod on the wing is yeah. he's gonna dominate there. Well, not dominate, but do well. But exceed, ex- excel there. Yeah. Um, and and I would really like to see Holloway and McLeod uh, get a, a run on the wing on different lines too, because you know these are both big bodies, even though. Uh, Holloway might be a little more of a crash and bang guy than McLeod is. Um, I mean, if you look where he's had success recently, it's been going to the middle of the ice. He's, it's an area that he usually avoids. He is more of a perimeter player, but that's where he's had success is by going to the net. And it's no coincidence that he's been in good positions to score and he's buried them. So if he can just sort of get that into his head a little more consistently, that this is the type of player I need to be, this is what I need to do. It doesn't mean that I have to hit every player in sight. It doesn't need to mean that I have to be the most physical player out there, but just not to be afraid of going to those dirty areas. He is going to start producing more. And I think that, you know, for, for Leon, like, yeah, you'd love to have a natural sniper playing with him all the time, but, um, you know, he can do so much uh, uh, offensively by either shooting the puck or passing the puck. Having a guy like McLeod who goes hard to the net and can either finish a rebound or or just kind of be a screen for the goalie, I think that could work well with him. Yeah, I've seen a bit of uh, Nugent Hopkins and McDavid in him for a couple of years now, kind of like mm-hmm. a... A mix and well, he yeah, can fly I, up the. He doesn't have the puck mm-hmm. skills of McDavid, but he can really fly up the ice. He's yeah. easily their second fastest skater. Yeah, it's a. I know Holloway is pretty he, fast. He's a blazer too, and that's yeah. good because the Oilers need more speed throughout the lineup. Um, they do have the the top end speed with you know some of their their superstars, but uh, you know having more team speed is is something that they really needed to add to this roster and. Yeah, I like the way McLeod uh, can can skate the puck up the ice. It's just a matter of when he gets over the blue line, being able to do something with it, as opposed yeah. to just taking it end to end. Yeah, I think um, I, on the third line, I feel he kind of has to think that he, he's controlling the play and the puck and stuff, mm-hmm. but Fogel's good at uh, cycling. Drisaitl can hold on to the puck, so yeah, McLeod can go right to the net easier than hold on to the puck for as long as he's he's used to 
No, I think the goal has been since he was drafted that McLeod would eventually become the Oilers' third line center. And we have seen him hold down that spot for various mm-hmm. points in time over the past couple of years. Uh, I guess we briefly had uh, Nick Bukestad in that spot last season. But McLeod is a guy who, you know, could handle it, but maybe he just is going to be better on the wing. And that's reportedly one of the reasons why he didn't go in the first round of the draft in 2018 was. Uh, because they didn't think that he could handle the the center position at the NHL level, a, a lot of teams, I should say. But uh, the Oilers were lucky to land him at uh, 40th overall. And yeah, I was very happy. You know, yeah, I mean, one. he was a guy who was, I, I think, projected to be 25th yeah. by around that by most uh, scouting services. So for the Oilers to get him middle, or I guess that'd be more earlier in the in the top 10 of the second round as opposed to later in the first round. Um, was a good find for them, and they've obviously turned him into an NHL player. And we both know the Oilers haven't turned many second-round picks into actual NHL players, so that's a, a big win for the organization. Just the fact that he's, you know, played over a hundred games now and has, you know, been a player who's contributed to some degree. Although I think there still is a lot more for him to to reach at the NHL level. I think he can get there. Yeah, I mean, I I talked about this before the season on uh, my my season preview show that he was a guy who. I thought could <clears throat> eventually develop into a 40 point player. Now, I, yeah. I don't know if he, I don't know if he'll fully get there, but that should be sort of the goal that he's aiming for as a point every other game. And if he does get the opportunity to play on the second line wing as opposed to third line center, uh, you'd hope that one of Drysidel's wingers is able to put up at least 40 points. Like that should even if without the power play time, that should be um, a reasonable projection for him. Yeah, exactly. That would be hopeful that he can get himself some wingers because I don't think Kane's really working out there. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know Kane uh, has had a, a bit of a, a slow run here, but I, I'm overall still happy with the 13 goals he has scored, even if some of those yeah. did some of those did come earlier in the year. Um, you know, he's going to be a player who can score goals in bunches. That we've seen this from Kane, where he might have a, a run of games where he doesn't produce much, and then he scores like a hat trick, and uh, two weeks later he scores another hat trick. So this is a guy who, when you when you need him, he is going to come through and 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 produce uh, goals like we said in a, in a short amount of time. But you might have to live with the the instances where he goes a a stretch of games where he he doesn't put up many points. Yeah, as long as he's not hurting them yeah and yeah he's picking up the other parts of his game when that happens i'm i'm fine with it like i'm looking at it right now he's on pace for 34 goals this year um and if you look at the previous two seasons he's played he's been on pace for over 30 goals even the one year over 40 goals um on an 82 game pace so i mean he's a natural goal scorer and he can protect uh the Oilers players, there is that intimidation factor with him too. So I think that you might just have to live with the faults that that he has um, to reap the rewards of the, the things that he can bring to this team. That's at least how I see the player. I definitely, I brought up or I opened the discussion that not this year, but maybe they look in the offseason if he doesn't actually get back to the top six about... Um, seeing about moving them, see who's interested. 
just because like if he is he's not top six, maybe maybe they can go out and grab another another but tough could, guy for a little less. I see what get, you're saying. Older. But, but could this could this uh, he is 32. I mean that is a fair point. But at the same time, could you see this as just a brief move where they slid him down to the third line to shake up the lines here? Because, I mean, it it did get going. Uh, it did get some other players going, as we we talked about McLeod being one of them. I can but, see that. Yeah, I I was I was really looking at the, the analytics, though, with you can't split up that top line right now. No. Um, and I don't I don't think you can split it up for the rest of the year the way they're going. They're absolutely yeah. best line in the NHL. Yeah. Above everyone else. I think they have, I saw today they had the 77% or 78% uh, expected goals or goals for percentage better than five or six power plays. Yeah, pretty incredible. And yeah. and and plus how lethal the Oilers power play is on top of that too. But Yeah, that's just yeah, five on j- five. But just to wrap up on Kane, I'll just say, I mean, 23 points in uh, 31 games. I think that that is decent for what you're you're paying him i mean he is getting 5.1 million so he's on pace for 61 points and like we said the 34 goals that's a productive winger and i know a lot of those points did come when he was still in the top six but if he and uh when mcdavid was out and he was getting power play time but i'm sure that he is going to get brought back up in the new year um into that role And, and Come playoff time, I think that when you play a team like L.A. or Vegas, he's yeah, going to be a guy that you'll you'll be glad that you have in the lineup. So I, I definitely see your point on that, Rob. Like I, I he's an, he's an aging power forward, so those players historically um, take a dip as they get closer to their mid thirties. And and he, like we said, he is thirty two. But for right now, in a cup window, I think that it would be a little foolish of the organization to give up a 30 goal 60 point winger when this is a team that you know needs that kind of production on the wing so i would i would not move them unless they think they can get a player who can provide the same type of offense back yeah and no, i was just now do you uh say it the cap is going up and they don't actually yeah. after like i was thinking Maybe before the end of his contract, I don't know how many years, two or three left, but maybe uh, he before. signed for four, and this is year two of it, two, so there's yeah. two more years after this. Yeah, so I don't know about after this season, but I, I guess they could maybe, look at it maybe in the, the final year. one. But yeah. yeah, the if the cap's going up and for next year, I think he's safe. But yeah, then that year after, they have to sign Bouchard and Dracedo. So well, I mean Frank Saravelli said that the cap is going up 5%, which would take it up from 83.5 to about 87.7. So, I mean, if we if if it were to go up another 5% the year after that, yeah, now, that's... now we're talking about in the summer of 2025, the salary cap potentially being $92 million. So... That gives the Oilers a little more flexibility. Like it, it just needs to keep going up four million dollars a summer. Now, like the, that trend has to be getting back into it, as opposed to one million dollars a summer. So yeah, for if, sure. If they can do that and they're able to trade Kane, like you said, two two summers from now, when he's thirty four, yeah, like I could see that happening. And, and you hope that you're using that money to bring in um, a younger player who's closer to their prime, who can contribute on a a, a top 
six role with either McDavid or Dreisaitl. But, I mean, we're also having to re-sign those guys as well, right? And we know that their next yeah. deals aren't going to be cheap. I was going to say, each each cap jump is yeah. um, going to be for each of them. Like, Bouchard is over a point per game. Dreisaitl yeah. will, if they can lock him up long-term, he'll be, I, th- I think he's going to go for 13. At least. I wouldn't in, even be surprised if he gets least, 14. Yeah. It and depends I mean, how selfish they want to be. Like, if they've won a cup, I think yeah. he goes more. If they haven't, I think Maybe there's he takes a little, a little less. conversation, yeah, with those guys in there because Nuge and Nuge took less. I mean, McDavid was offered the full $15 million by Shirelli back in 2017 when he signed his <laughs> extension. And, you know, for a 20-year-old kid to get offered $15 million a year and for um, for him and his agent, who was Jeff Jackson at the time, now the CEO yeah. of the Oilers, to make a decision to only take 12 and a half. That is that shows tremendous leadership from any player, especially a player that's that young, that's only been in the league for two years to say, you know, I, I'm, I know I'm becoming the highest paid player in the league, but I'm taking less than I can because you can only make 20 percent of the cap. Yeah. So when McDavid is a free agent or in the summer of 2026, we might see the salary cap at 96 million by that point. If it, if it continues this 2 million jump, right? So 20% of 96 million is 19.2. So that's realistically like what he, if he wanted to maximize every potential dollar he could make, he could be a player that's close to 20 million. I believe that McDavid will leave money on the table again. How would you? Oh, yeah, he'll, he'll, he's going to leave a, I think he's going to leave a lot. He really cares about winning. I don't, yeah. I don't know him or Drusadel, but I would think that McDavid's even more for taking the pay cut. But let's think about it like this. So he's, he's made 12 and a half over eight years. Yeah, and, he's set. And how much has he made from endorsements on top of that? Um, fair to say another $5 million from all the, the different commercials he does throughout the year. So it's probably closer to $17 million. And that's American dollars, keep in mind. So when you convert it to Canadian, we're talking about over $20 million a year that he's yeah. been making for the better part of a decade. I don't think it's going to hurt Connor that much if he takes $16 million a year instead of $19 million. He can Six. leave those $3 million on the table. And, you know, there would be a, a conversation with the, the, the GM at the time, whoever Jeff Jackson puts in place um, to, you know, I'm expecting this three million that I'm leaving on the table to be used on a player that's going to help us win. I was so, going to say even 15. He could. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's that's, that's the number I was thinking. If he and that's really leaving a bit like if yeah. he goes max term, I don't think he cares that much. He's no he's set already he the last thing he needs to do is the cup and yeah uh, he's seen around the league the teams or the players that take a bit less Crosby and Bergeron and stuff and they've got their cups I think he'll realize that plus that's still 120 million over eight years uh, on a, a 15 million dollar cap hit. So put that on top of the 100 million he's already made. Like we're talking about a player who's pushing a quarter of a billion dollars in career earnings. He'll be fine. I think when he looks back 
50 years from now on his NHL career as, as an old man, he'll be happy uh, with a one or two Stanley Cup rings aside yeah. on his uh, in his trophy case instead of the extra money he's got in the bank. So, yeah, let's uh, let's hope that that happens. And uh, speaking of some money that's been spent, uh, let's lastly, we'll talk about Connor Brown tonight. Um, he was ob- obviously Edmonton's uh, biggest offseason addition last summer, and he struggled mightily in his first season as an Oiler. He has just one assist in 24 games and was a healthy scratch against the Devils last week. Rob, I want to know, what were your expectations for Brown before the season? And what do you think are reasonable expectations now for the rest of the season? Well, the first thing I did was look at his recent seasons in Ottawa, and he was a top six player there. But I think he did get power play time, and he got, I think, more time. was 18, 19 minutes a game and stuff. So it was obviously going to go down a bit from there. So I would have been happy with 35, 40 playing beside a couple great players like McDavid or Dracedo, whatever one, whatever line he was going to go on, it was going to be McDavid at the start and finally get him that five on five winger, keep mm-hmm. that top six really good. But yeah, he's been, uh, it, it kind of just fits into that early season struggle with the Oilers not being able to score. And he just hasn't, he's just continued that. Yeah. I mean, he is coming off the broken leg, right? So that too, I think, I think there was an expectation that it was going to take him some time to get up to speed. And I think that the patience with Oilers fans, I shouldn't say all, but you know, a, a vocal, a vocal number of them on Twitter, uh, that uh, that patient started to wear thin a little bit after the 10 game mark when his cap hit kicked in for next season. Yeah. So now he, let's keep in mind, Brown was a player that McDavid wanted here. He recruited him in the summer and Connor Brown did in fact do the Oilers a favor by taking league minimum for this year to help them out. But there is going to be a $3.25 million cap hit applied to next year's cap for the bonus. And if the salary cap does go up uh, $4 million as expected, that eats up about 80% of it right there, just uh, paying Brown's bonus, whether he's with another team next season or not. So you definitely want this year to uh, be a, an impactful year. And to this point, it hasn't. But um, there there needs to be more in the second half. I think that that let's hope that that uh, healthy scratch was a bit of a reset for him. Yeah, I was I was hoping that, and it kind of lit a fire under Ernie yeah. to uh, get back in and finally be given the chance. And I think that's what they need the a bottom six with a little bit of worry if they're going to be taken out, so they're playing a little better, fighting yeah. for their spot a little encourages more. Encourages them to keep pushing. And the other yeah. thing is, like Connor uh, Connor Brown, he's he didn't just forget how to play hockey overnight. This is a guy who has been a productive second, third line, middle six winger uh, for several years. And like he, you know, he had the 20 goal a year in Toronto earlier in his career, but um, he really found his game with the senators. So that's kind of where you'd like to see him just continue to get back to that sort of production where he was a guy who you could count on for, 15 plus goals in sort of a secondary role. And 
Uh, I kind of expected playing with McDavid this year that his numbers would, that he'd reach career highs, that there might be a, a 25 goal season for him. Obviously that isn't going to happen now, but I'd like to think with 50 games to play, he could still hit double digits and goals, but he'll have to get going pretty soon here. Yeah, who's hoping even even now if he stays in lineup the rest of the time, a ten goal, twenty point finish? Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at that at all. No, yeah, I, I and I'm just hoping that come April that he's really started to find his game because that's yeah. when the playoffs are gonna be getting going and uh you want him to be on top of his game at that time to really be contributing in a, a meaningful way when they get into the most important time of the year. And if they have to play Vegas or LA or Colorado or Dallas in the first round, um, if he could be a guy who can chip in a goal or two in that series, then that makes the contract a lot more worth it than, you know, if he's scoring a goal now in November or December, but obviously it would, <laughs> it'd help if he could at least uh, get going a little bit here. Yeah, it was this, this contract was the full year commitment. So if he, at any point starts um, proven that he deserved the contract, then I'm good with it. But yeah, for now, I don't, I think he's uh, good on the, I'll keep, I'd keep him on the fourth line. That third line, I don't mind. With well, uh, Ryan and Kane. Yeah. And Rob, I know that you are a line combinations guy, as you already talked about, but uh, hope I'm not going to put you on the spot here, but I think it'd be interesting to get your take. Uh, game one of the Stanley or of, of the Stanley Cup playoffs in April probably will be somewhere around April 23rd or 24th. What do you think the Oilers' top nine forward group looks like? You got to kind of factor in trades. Yeah, year I, two. I, I think they do. I, I'm thinking they get Blackwood, so maybe they just can grab Duclair. That wouldn't be a okay. bad one. Um, the, and he would be one of Drisaitl's wingers. So I'd have the top line, same Intact. as. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Drisaitl, Kane, and Duclair. That's your second, okay. Yeah, then I, I do think... Um, McLeod and Ryan together there. Like Ryan can ease a bit in the face-off circle. He's never been below 500. You'd like him on the third line still then. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know if Brown works his way back up because I like, I've been pushing for Holloway for a while. So a Ryan, McLeod, and Holloway third line i don't know maybe they split up put do claire down or even put kane down kind of mix it oh there's fogel <laughs> forgot about fogel maybe he gets moved i down. don't know <laughs> i don't i wouldn't move him i would second or third line probably third line but yeah then uh i guess no maybe ryan dropped down the fourth if you have fogel Holloway, but realistically, I think Holloway's going fourth line. No one seems to trust him yet. So Duclair would be your deadline ad then? I I think I think that's what they're going to do. I don't know if it's the best one. The, but maybe what they can get and you yeah, put him with, in, a, in put him with an elite player like Dreisaitl and he's able to thrive. 
Yeah, he can he can definitely score and he can skate and that's what you talked about a bit, little mm-hmm. uh, depth speed in there and he's definitely a a fast one and he can score. So a little bit of playoff experience bad. too. Yeah, he's bounced around for sure. You know he can score on an offensive team like Florida. They put in thirty. He just signed with San Jose, right? What what kind of numbers no, does he? He got traded in his final year. I think he was just three mil. Oh, okay, he wasn't. He didn't sign. Okay. No, yeah. Yeah. And how many years does he have left? I'm gonna quickly. This, check. this is the final one. This is the yeah, final. Okay. Yeah, he's UFA. And you said so, for three. Yeah, I think it's three. Then why don't they just try and do a Duclair and Blackwood in the same deal? You know, that's what I was. That's what yeah. I was thinking. If they if they're get going for Blackwood, which I think they they will, he would just come over in the same thing, and they would. Uh, yeah, Campbell would have to have to move over. That would kind of offset the cost. Maybe keep keep a bit up money. If you have to move Borgo and a first, I'm fine with that. As long yeah. as you're bringing in, I mean, getting rid of the Campbell deal that opens up five million for you as well. Now Blackwood will eat up a little bit of that coming back, but I don't think his cap hit is is that much. It's two six. No, no. That's, that's that's Skinner, Skinner's, but it's right around there. So basically, you're opening up at least half the amount of money that you would have had otherwise keeping Campbell. Yeah, and like, then that's it, what I was saying. Duclair gets his a bit of retention because he's the UFA. Yeah. The other thing is too the the extra money that you're saving um, from from getting rid of Campbell would also eat up a bit of the Connor Brown. Uh, extra cap bonus next season too so that's that's something to keep in mind i'm just gonna see if i can quickly find so blackwood blackwood is 2.3 million three yeah that's and so i mean you're basically getting both of your goalies for under 5 million 4.9 combined which is more than jack campbell was making you know in total so that's a that would help and then you've got blackwood signed for and he signed for all of next year too which which has helped so Something to look forward to. Uh, I definitely like to have you back on the podcast later this season, maybe after the trade deadline, and we can see if some of your predictions uh, uh, ended up happening. But uh, yeah, yeah we'll I see what uh, crazy stuff happens. <laughs> definitely fascinating. I, I do think though that uh, they they shouldn't wait until the end of February to make a move no, on a goaltender. Yeah. Though they, this is something that they need to address right away, especially as we talked about with a bit of a lighter schedule coming up. They need to take advantage of this and make sure that they're banking wins. Um, like we said, they, they don't need to be playing at a, a 684 points percentage, but you want to see them closer to winning three out of every five games at least. Yeah, at the very least before that February schedule kicks in. Yeah, because then it, need a goalie. it gets yeah. intense. And you can't be playing every other night for two and a half months and expecting Stuart Skinner to just run the table. Like he's going to need some nights off. And, and as the season gets more intense, uh, as much as uh, Calvin Pickard is serviceable, you'd like to have a, a guy in there who you can probably count on a little bit more, who with more NHL experience and a higher pedigree in, in between the pipes. Yeah, that's gonna it's gonna be flashbacks to last year's playoffs with Skinner if you have him in every single night, every yeah. second day. Give him the rest. Well, Rob, I really appreciate you being on the show tonight. Awesome talking to you. Uh, are you working on anything? And uh, where can people follow you? Uh, I am 
not working on anything right now. Um, Join a little bit maybe, of Christmas break. Nah, maybe tomorrow. Okay. I was I was trying to craft something up. <laughs> um, and you can find me uh, stathockey.com is the website, and at stat underscore hockey on Twitter, or I think at Rob Couch five 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 on Twitter as well as my my main one. Both both put out hockey content. So everyone, please go follow Rob and check out all his work at the various sites where he writes. And uh, you can follow me at Eric J. Friesen on Twitter, as well as my podcast at 99ForeverPod. Rob, really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the show tonight here on Boxing Day. And uh, let's do this again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me. A lot of fun. All right. So for Rob Couch, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.